The reading is from John 20, 19 to the end of the chapter. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You may have noticed that the passage that Jan has just read is the same one that Debbie read last week on Easter Sunday morning. John 20, starting at verse 19. And during last week's service, Kate used those verses to focus on the perceptions of the women, the disciples and Thomas as their part of the Easter story. This morning, I want to focus on one verse, John 20, 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. As many of you know, I'm quite heavily involved in Christians Against Poverty across Falmouth and Penryn. One of the accountabilities of a CAP job club manager is to intentionally promote the gospel amongst members. Now, as a job club manager, I will happily talk to you about how to write your CV or how to prepare for that job interview. And when I'm wearing my money course hat, I'll talk to you at length about budgeting. And yet, when I look back at those courses and the people that I have met, I must ask myself, I must challenge myself as to how I have intentionally promoted the gospel. If I was required to do a self-appraisal, I think I'd give myself a low mark. 
During Lent, CAP staff and volunteers were encouraged to read this book by Hannah Steele. It's entitled Living His Story. And the strapline is Revealing the Extraordinary Love of God in Ordinary Ways. And this morning, I'd like to share with you some insights that I've gained from reading that book over recent weeks. It has led me to look at aspects of the life and teaching of Jesus in different ways. The good news of the Easter story is one that we are asked to share with others, but often we haven't been very good at doing it. In my experience, evangelism is something that we are expected to do to people, to convince people that our way of thinking is correct. This can lead to several misconceptions, misconceptions that I myself have found that I believed. The first is that evangelism is for experts. I've told myself many times that I don't have the skills and the gifts to do it. I would find it embarrassing. It's easy to assume that evangelism is an extraordinary uh, activity not suited to ordinary people like me. And because we feel that evangelism is something that is done to people, it leaves us with an uncomfortable thought that, is, that this is something we don't want to do. We fear that we can come across as being judgmental. I've often found comfort in the old adage, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Although in this book, Hannah Steele suggests that that often leads to silence. How many people are interested in the Christian faith anyway? If we do get into a conversation, we worry that we'll face a barrage of questions about suffering, about science, and the involvement of the church in difficult issues like sexual abuse. And even in the last week, we've seen the Archbishop of Canterbury being challenged about his views on the treatment of asylum seekers. I don't know about you, but I become worried that I don't know all the answers, or I might say the wrong thing. Again, silence seems the best option. And yet, evangelism is for all of us. I can name the people who were influential in my journey of coming to faith. David Posse, John Cutmore, Gerald Cole and Doug Wellington. Two Sunday school teachers, one church minister and one youth club leader. They were kind, caring, interested, compassionate honest, full of integrity and authentic. They weren't experts. 
Like the disciples, they were ordinary people from ordinary backgrounds, which included pig farming and hospital administration. They welcomed me in. Their care for me meant that I wanted to find out more about what made them tick. In a sense, their actions were an invitation to me to find out more about their Christian faith. On the first Easter Sunday, the women at the tomb were the first witnesses to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. The word witness is used more commonly in the New Testament than evangelist. Indeed, it occurs 23 times in the Acts of the Apostles alone. A witness is someone who shares their experience, their personal experience, and speaks of it with enthusiasm. Remember Mary Magdalene? I have seen the Lord. As a witness, one of our responsibilities is to connect the gospel with those that we meet. We can do this by speaking about our own story and the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And I'll return to that a little later. We can listen to others and find points of connection. We can do it through prayer and through our character and our actions. But we should all always do it in partnership with God. We should always see our attempts to engage in evangelism and witnessing as secondary to that which God is already doing in people's lives. God takes the initiative in evangelism because he loves the people who are lost. If we turn to Luke 14 and verses 15 to 24, we read the parable of the great banquet. It tells of a man who who prepared a lavish banquet, but on the day that his guests were due to appear, they all made excuses not to be there. So the man told his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Through parables such as this, we can see Jesus prioritising the poor the neglected, those who didn't think they stood a chance. We can see these stories echoed elsewhere in the parable of the lost sheep and that of the lost coin. They show one fundamental truth. God loves. Surely any evangelism, any witnessing, must start from that same point. God loves Jesus dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin is surely the greatest evidence of that truth as we continue to consider our mission and outreach here at EBC with a new pastor at the helm in the coming months who are the lost people in our community who are the downtrodden the marginalised and the oppressed. 
God's love is not only for them, it's especially for them. And maybe toughest of all, when they tell us that they're not interested in our faith, do we continue to love them and to show that we care? We are certain to receive a mixed response when we share the good news. The parable of the sower is a wonderful picture of what evangelism can be like. The seed is scattered far and wide. The sower is not criticised that some of it falls on stony ground. This is not about seed being wasted, it's the consequence of it being sown generously. The sower reaps a variety of results, as did Jesus. Some rejected him outright. Some followed him for a while and then left. Others became his followers and his disciples. So let us return to the sharing of our own stories. We all have a unique story to tell. Like Mary Magdalene, we have a I have seen story we can share. What difference does being a Christian make to the way that we bring up our children and nurture our grandchildren? How does being a Christian influence the way we spend our money? How does being a Christian affect the way we view the daily news stories? What is it about being a Christian that particularly makes a difference in our lives? The sense of peace, of not being alone, of being forgiven, of being loved. When we share our stories, we do not need to position ourselves as experts, but as learners and people on a journey. Clearly, it must help to be prepared, to think through in advance what we might say when asked why or how we became a Christian. There may have been a clear moment in time for me, it was a gradual, a gradual journey over a period of time. And we need to be honest about the struggles as well as the high points. We don't need to, be t- to pretend to be perfect, but rather to witness to the fact that Jesus' death gives us a fresh start from mistakes we have made. And sharing our story shouldn't be a one-way conversation. We need to listen to other people's stories too. To find points of connection with God's story and our own. And sharing our story isn't about words alone. It must be lived out too. Our story is more authentic And people can see our faith really does have an impact on the way that we live our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes, Just as a mother cares for her child, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
The Gospel records over 150 one-to-one conversations that Jesus has with people. Fishermen, tax collectors, religious officials, the sick and the well, those who uh, were high in rank and the others who were of lowest regard. These were the people out in the wide world reflecting the whole of society. And maybe that's where our story, our journey of living out God's story needs to begin. Making connections and friendships with those outside of our church communities. Jesus positioned himself in mixed communities. He didn't have one one compartment for his church friends and another compartment for his non-church friends. Jesus doesn't seem to use a blueprint for how he interacted with people. Each conversation is slightly different. He starts his conversation with the Samaritan woman by asking for a drink of water. When the woman touches his cloak in the crowd, his attention immediately switches to her and to her needs. And this fact suggests that we must share the gospel in an appropriate way with people. We do not need to have one single approach when we speak to different people. Jesus gives his full attention to the individual's needs, and so should we. He always seems to know what next step each individual needs to take. For the rich young ruler, it was to sell everything and give his money to the poor. For the woman in the crowd, it was to give her peace and reassurance. What are the next steps we can offer? What one comment can we make that might mean that they want to find out more about Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our contacts were to leave a conversation with us saying, hmm, I've never thought about that before. And when, like me, we don't have the confidence to evangelise, remember how Jesus started his conversation with the woman at the well. Will you give me a drink? He begins by asking a question by asking her for something, by making himself vulnerable, by expressing a need. Remember blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? It might seem obvious to a blind man, but Jesus doesn't make that assumption and neither should we. Developing a key for listening can be at the heart of evangelism and in that mix can be finding out the reasons why people don't believe in God. In the book Making New Disciples, Mark Ireland and Mike Booker say this, Perhaps success in evangelism should be measured not in how many come to us, our courses and our events, 
but how far we are willing to go to reach the lost, the lonely and the broken with the good news of God's grace. Sometimes we'll take a risk and it won't work out as we'd hoped. I find that from my experience of working with CAP and I know that many of my colleagues do too. Debt centre managers tell me that they make a connection with a person in dire financial need. They hold an initial meeting and then they never hear from them again. This week, I started a new money course. On Wednesday afternoon, I had five people booked and due to attend. When I came here, by 7.30, only one person turned up. What I'm trying to learn is that if I don't have examples of where things haven't worked out, then it probably means that I haven't been taking enough risks. Every time we step out of our comfort zone and offer to pray with somebody, we take a risk. In doing so, we must be confident that we can rely on the Holy Spirit because we cannot predict the outcome of that encounter. Increasingly, it seems to me that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism and witnessing. Statistically, I'm told that the most common way for someone to come to faith is simply through a relationship, a cup of tea and a chat. During the last week, I've watched a video interview with Nicky Gumbel about evangelism. In it, he says that people are looking for three things. To be loved, to have a sense of purpose, and to have a sense of belonging. And by sharing the gospel with the people that we meet, in whichever way is appropriate, we will start to help to meet those needs. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Today, he is sending you and me. Shall we just finish with a short prayer? For those of you who use the Lecto 365 app, it will be familiar because it was a part of yesterday's meditation. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would flood our hearts with the light of your presence. We pray that our daily choice would be to carry your light, hope and wonder to the world around us. Light afar in our heart, Spirit of the living God. Amen.